0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenza, and I'm joined by my usual co-host, my comrade-in-arms, John Sheeran, who has been uh, making the rounds of late, my friend. You've been uh, on a number of different shows and obviously doing a lot of work on cincyjungle.com, which is always much appreciated. Aside from being very busy, how are
1: you? Yeah, um, it's good to be home where I belong Right (laughs) on the show. Um, it's, it's It's been fun watching... The AFC North dominate the news waves of late, besides just the Bengals filling out their coaching staff. And it's it's been interesting with the Bengals going through the turnover that they are, how tumultuous the entire division seems to be at the moment. And then I guess that's the beauty of the NFL offseason, how most of the crazy stuff going on is surrounded by the Bengals division.
0: It's been a, a wild, wild week against uh, guess. I guess as wild of a week that you can have in the middle of February, um, especially for the AFC North, we'll talk about that in just a second uh, where I kind of want to, I mean, we'll start with just kind of some general news and notes uh, about the Bengals. And then obviously kind of expand that like you, like you tease there about the AFC North. We're also going to talk, we have a little game here in just a little bit um, talking about uh, who may be a better prospect in the NFL draft coming up at a, specific position of interest um so definitely want to want to talk about that and you'll want to hear what we have to say about these two names uh as they have been sort of linked to the Cincinnati Bengals um there's also there's also been some interesting comments about the Bengals roster as it's constructed by uh the former head coach who has uh himself been put into the media limelight lately so uh, we'll talk about that and as always we're going to try and get to some listener questions at the end of the show so you can get those to us in the live youtube chat on twitter at BengalsOBI. obi um, we will be taking calls and texts texts through the beginning of the show and then calls towards the end 949-542-6241 is the orange and black insider line so uh, drop us a line there uh I did get an interesting text earlier uh earlier today, John. I'll just have it's it's pretty cool. I'll have, to, I'll have to share it to you with you in a little bit. But um so that's what's on tap for this week's episode. Uh we we appreciate the support as we mentioned last show. We've had a, a number of high downloads and everything. Um we've had kind of an exciting start to the year, both with um, you know, from a fan perspective, it's been an exciting start to the year because of the coaching changes and all of that. Uh, and then, you know, we've had some interviews with Tyler Boyd and, um, you know, a lot of different stuff going on. So it's been a, it's been a pretty exciting year for the show and, uh, hopefully you all have found it pretty exciting as well. John, let's kick it off though. Uh, speaking of kind of the new coaching staff and everything for the Cincinnati Bengals, the, the team and Zach Taylor seem to be finalizing their, their staff and the one defensive the, the one position that stands out and has been just hard to fill for the team for some reason is defensive coordinator. Um, and it's an important one based on what happened last year. It was a complete disaster last year. Todd Grantham, who is uh, the University of Florida's current defensive coordinator seems to be the favorite to land the job. There might the the team, as we sit here on Wednesday evening, the team might be in negotiations with him to, to finalize a deal, your thoughts on him. And uh, I I know you also threw out an interesting tweet on Wednesday, um, talking about a little bit, something that maybe to be concerned about with the Bengals search and defensive coordinator.
1: Yeah. So they've now flirted with um, Jack Del Rio Dennis Allen and even the old man Don Capers, and from what we have been told uh, in the past couple of weeks since the fallout of those guys, Del Rio and Taylor talked, but no offer was ever um, brought out because some the differences of coaching philosophy and whatever. Dennis Allen decided not to leave New Orleans because he felt that he had, that was the pl- place where he best thought uh, they could win. He could win a Super Bowl. And Don Capers never really received an offer. He kind of backed out everything. So now it comes to Todd Grantham, who has received the first official or I guess unofficial contract offer by the Bengals to be defensive coordinator. And on the service, I think it would be a good hire. I've seen a lot of mis- mixed reactions on Twitter and on Cincy Jungle comment section, respectively. I think a lot of it's with uncertainty. But you're with Grantham, you got 29 years of heck of just coaching experience in general. Uh, he was an offensive lineman in Virginia Tech. His third year, I just I just did his whole profile, so I basically know his I, I, I know his background. I'm, You're cheating. I'm, I'm You're down. cheating. Yeah, yeah. I brought <laughs> my notes with me for this. Um, he played under Frank Beamer in his first years at Virginia Tech. Beamer hired him as his first coaching job. He coached uh, defensive line and linebackers for Virginia Tech for about six years. He then moved on. So he went from the from the Beamer tree to another interesting coaching tree Michigan State in the, in the late 90s and a guy named Nick Saban. He was Nick Saban's defensive line coach for a couple years. He eventually became his assistant head coach uh, his last year there. Then he kind of catapulted to the NFL with the Colts for a couple years. He was then uh, the Houston Texans' first ever defensive line coach under Don Capers in the first few years of their inception. Then he got his first defensive coordinator job with the Cleveland Browns and he was actually fired after their only double digit win in the 21st in the 21st century the 10 60 year in 2007 and his his units in cleveland kind of regressed that the more he was there then he went to another decent coach and wade phillips and worked with him in dallas as their defensive line coach so his background is mainly def, uh, defensive line linebackers that front seven kind of area and it's interesting how the two position coaches that they don't have on the defensive side are defensive line coach and linebackers and then the, the the main years that it mattered with Grantham were the last nine when he spent uh, last nine seasons at defensive coordinator for four major college programs, started at Georgia for four years, then went to Louisville for three years. And then in tw- late 2016, early 2017, um, Dan Mullen, who was the Michigan, uh, Mississippi State head coach, essentially swapped defensive coordinators with Louisville. Grantham was with Louisville, and he basically traded his defensive coordinator. I think his name was his last name was Sermon, I want to say. And he became Louisville's defense coordinator. Uh, Grantham came down to Mississippi State to be uh, Mullen's defense coordinator. Mullen took the Florida job uh, this time last or er, uh, L- November of 2017. Uh, Grantham followed him. He signed a three-year contract with Florida to become one of the most uh, highly paid assistant coaches in the country and the h- highest paid uh, assistant coach in Florida football history. And now, you know, uh, Grantham... Is under negotiations with the Bengals. I think the I think the Gators are finding like uh, Grantham's replacement as we speak. So the b- b- basically, unless something drastic happens, Grantham's is going to be the defensive coordinator. And just looking at his overall resume as defensive coordinator for the past nine years, he's led m- for the most part above average defenses. And again, you know, I know Georgia, Louisville, Mississippi State, Florida—they're all top tier programs. they Are all decent, you know, upper tier Power Five programs. So you, you think you know, no matter who's coordinating those defenses, they're going to be pretty good. But Uh, Grantham's 2011, 2012, Georgia team, they were, uh, top 20 in overall, uh, adjusted defensive rating. I think they were the fourth best pass defense in 2011 with Georgia. Uh, things kind of fell off, uh, in 2013 with Georgia because they had seven players from that 2012 team end up going to the NFL. Sean Williams was actually one of those players. He's probably maybe the best out of, out of the defenders that left uh, Georgia that year. Uh, Louisville, he developed players like Sheldon Rankins. Uh, he recruited Jerry Alexander among other players. Mississippi State and Florida over the past couple of years have developed prospects and uh, J- Jockey Polite, who's an edge rusher, who's probably going to go top fifteen. Jeffrey Simmons was a guy that uh, Grantham coached in twenty seventeen Mississippi State. He's the defensive tackle that, that just torn his ACL. Might be a, a day two pick for them. So there's been a lot of players and a lot of good units that Grantham has coached and developed. And again, you know Nick Saban, Frank Beamer, uh, Don Capers, Wade Phillips. He's come from a lot of great coaching trees. Twenty nine years of coaching experience. He has the experience you want you know, the the long and short of it, he's a a pretty good defensive coordinator candidate. And I know there's uncertainty because he's had one defensive coordinator job in the NFL and that didn't exactly end well in Cleveland. But I think he's a guy that, you know, you look at what the Bengals wanted from this position, wanted to take over the, the, the defense while Zach Taylor handles the offense. I think Grantham is about as best as you can come. And he would be the only college defensive coordinator hired to be an NFL defense coordinator this year, aside from Greg Sciano, who... Has that connection with Bill Belichick, the Patriots? But I think it would be a good hire. I know there, there are some doubts, but I think his resume at, at mid-February is about as good as you're going to come from right as a of candidate.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I was just going to follow it up with. I mean, at this point, I mean, a lot of people weren't that concerned about the fact that the Bengals got a late start on their coaching. Announcements and everything, because the Rams had had such a successful season and made it to the Super Bowl. But um, you know, I mean, they were they were behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of being able to hire the guys that they wanted, and I guess in terms of who's left and or who has between who's left and who has not said no to them. Grantham is a guy that you go, okay, you know, if you're going to grab somebody from the college ranks, SEC is probably where you want to grab somebody. Um, And and you mentioned, by the way, nice. I love the history lesson courtesy of John Sheeran. That was was very thorough. I loved it. Um, But, I mean, you mentioned he brought in a bunch of, you know, he recruited a lot of guys who are now successful pro players. And uh, that's kind of what you want. There's a lot of SEC guys on this, on this Bengals team, on the defensive line, even Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap being, being two of them. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things that make sense. It does tell you that the NFL is a who, you know, league. Um, You know, you you said Grantham is connected to Dom Capers and uh, you know, Capers was a choice that apparently (laughs) Zach Taylor wanted. So there's a lot of, dot connecting and we've been trying to do that since um taylor has taken over the job i want to say i want to ask you this john this was from minor minor threat in the live youtube chat and i don't know if that's a shout out to the old school punk band or not but uh minor threat still have not heard why jack del rio will not come here meaning cincinnati for a defensive coordinator position or why capers turned it down is working for the Bengals a job nobody wants or is it some something else? And I, I don't think we know for sure what that is. Um, you know, I think you just say, well, you know, it's not a fit, whether it's scheme or whatever. Um, maybe those guys don't want to really be under a first time head coach who is 35 years old, where these guys are in their fifties sixties and they don't really want to be taking orders to somebody like that. I don't know your
1: thoughts. Like that's completely, that's completely plausible. I mean, Del Rio, you know, you you think Del Rio and capers are guys that are kind of looking for work because they, they didn't, um, coach at all last season I, I'm not sure if Del Rio had a, an analyst job He might have maybe for like a short time or something But uh, obviously you know the, You would think that those guys would be Open to the opportunity of working again But there is the factor of you know You don't know what, what Taylor is as a head coach You know you do, you certainly don't know At this point from an outsider's perspective what, what, what it would be like coaching For the Bengals and Mike Brown You know whoever is making the decisions Whether it be Duke Tobin and the Blackburns Or whether they still don't want to have you know Working, have Mike Brown as your boss. We don't know what what perceptions lie for you know veteran coaches like that. So you have a guy like Grantham who, again, is, is has NFL experience, has NFL coaching experience, but has been with with major college programs for the last nine years. Maybe he has more of a thirst to kind of come jump back into it. I I do think it's interesting. I thought I would think that Aubrey Pleasant, the uh, Rams' defensive backs coach, w- would have been the favorite because of his connection with Taylor. And maybe how the Bengals, you know, not only want the Rams offense, but we want some of that Rams defense led by Wade Phillips. And now he would be an interesting candidate. But I think there was a connection that they had with Grantham and his vision with the defense kind of utilizing, you know, whatever the the, the talent that's there now and kind of build from that base to add a little bit more more of a modern approach to add a lot more athleticism at the second level. And that's something that Grantham has experience working with. Again, he's very knowledgeable with the, def- he was a defensive line coach and a linebackers coach long before he was calling plays as a defensive coordinator. So I, I, again, I think the qualifications match. And when you're talking about, you know, you know, Del Rio and Capers, sometimes, you know, things just don't really work out. Um, from what I was told, an offer was never given to either of those guys. So something, was was kind of uh, jamming the process before it even got to that point, whether that be philosophical differences or just, you know, overall administrative differences and whatever, you know, clearly Taylor has or is trying to establish some type of culture and some type of system uh, within the organization. And if those guys aren't a fit, then they're they're not a fit. And it's better to just cancel that now and then move on to the next guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, personally, I think everybody was kind of like, well, Del Rio brings that kind of, the right. name, the name, and the background. But uh, if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. I don't, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, that's directly because nobody wants to come and coach for the Cincinnati Bengals or anything like that. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. There just might have been a number of factors, like like you mentioned, you know, not getting a contract offer, maybe some ego issues, whatever that happened there. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenzi. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. It's on Megaphone. It's a new platform that the SB Nation family of podcasts is on. You can get it on YouTube and join us every episode that we record live on YouTube. And you can get everything that we that we put out there also on cincyjungle.com as well as uh, a lot of news opinions analysis from a number of different contributors like John and myself on that website there. As we mentioned at the onset of the show, John, busy week for the AFC North division. And not uh, surprisingly, the team that's going through the most transition, didn't really the Bengals didn't really grab the most headlines. Yeah, they might be hiring a defensive coordinator, but I mean, I don't know where we want to start here because the other three teams made gigantic headlines through the first half of the week. Um, I guess we can start with, if if we want to go chronologically, is that Antonio Bryant, the first one? Um, Antonio Brown? Antonio Brown, (laughs) yes, Antonio Bryant. (laughs) Um, Antonio Brown, is that where we want to start? I mean, I think that think that that was the first one in order. Look, for those who don't know, he sent out a tweet saying thanks, Steelers Nation, for the last nine years. Thanks, City of Pittsburgh, all this kind of stuff. It's been real, blah, blah, blah. Um, Oh, my God. I kind of just – I I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people thought – a lot of people are figuring that he will not be in a Steelers uniform next year because of – you know, a a myriad of issues and some of them are off field. Some of them are in the locker room. Some of them are his attitude in general as a, as a football player on that team. And uh, we, we heard some rumblings late in the year that, you know, he didn't play in that finale against the Bengals because there was a, a, an issue with him and Ben Roethlisberger in practice. Um, So he's saying bye-bye. Then we have – well, Well, let's start there. Let's start there. Um, I mean, because there's not totally unexpected, but just kind of a, another Antonio Brown-like move in terms of using his social media and trying to, you know, be the center of attention type of thing. And it, it seems as if he is not going to be on the Steelers next year in one way or another. And that's good news for the Bengals that they don't have to worry about him, I guess as well as Le'Veon Bell, Um, what does that mean, I guess, for the Steelers going forward? And do you have, do you have faith that they can, I mean, he was a late round pick, I think, a sixth round pick or something of that Mm -hmm. nature. And, you know, he became one of, if not the best receiver in the NFL. I mean, do you have faith that they can kind of strike gold again because they are,
1: quote unquote, the Steelers? Well, I do think that Juju is better than a lot of Bengals fans would give would give him credit for, and I do think that offense will definitely take a step back. But I think Juju is is in position to kind of take the throne. But I, th- this is this whole saga is, is a on, on on a multitude of levels. Not not only not only would it just be just uh, I, I can't even think. It would just be not unlikely. but it would just be so catastrophically embarrassing that Brown played for the Steelers in 2019. But uh, honestly, like the, the 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 part that not not everyone's a lot really thinking about is that um like Pittsburgh only gets p- per Justice Mosqueda, who's pretty pretty good. Um he's pretty fluent in, in contract um t- type dealings add you mosque on Twitter. Pit- Pittsburgh only gets a million dollars in cap relief if they cut or trade Antonio Brown because they converted his salary into a second like basically essentially a signing bonus. And they only did that to clear up space to sign Le'Veon Bell long-term, which obviously they didn't do. And Bell will also leave the team. So, <laughs> so they're they're not going to save – they're, they're going to be in cap hell for potentially trading or releasing a guy who's still in the books for three more years that so they have to basically eat that signing bonus. And the only reason why they did that was to sign a guy who also isn't going to play for 2019. So they're – financially going to be paying essentially for two, two superstars that are going to be playing that at least at the very least want to play for somebody else. Obviously Bell's going to move on sign another as an unrestricted free agent. but Pittsburgh is not in a position to just trade away Brown so easily, not only because he's in his early thirties and because he has a giant contract attached to him, but like they're, they're, they're just not in a position to, to accept the first round pick because that's obviously not going to just waltz through the door. They're going to take a deal that probably they don't want to take, but if Brown is so, committed to not to to moving on like there's just not a lot of situations where he could be playing for them in 2018 but in 2019 but it's just not going to be an easy situation for either side essentially what he did was i don't don't personally watch the office but there's that one scene where michael scott's like i declare bankruptcy and like and the other guys like you can't just just because you declare bankruptcy doesn't mean we're actually bankrupt like if antonio brown declares that he's not going to be on the steelers anymore it doesn't mean he won't be on the Steelers anymore because it might not be in the steelers best interest from their strictly financial and you know r- r- roster construction reasons to essentially move on from him. so the, the the whole aspect of, of him also getting into more trouble with um i i i think that, that that traffic issue came up with him because he failed to appear in court him demanding a trade him essentially Moving on spiritually, I guess, from the Steelers, but the Steelers still trying to find a plausible avenue to actually make that happen. It's a it's it, it's a complete cluster f bomb, if you know what I'm saying, and it's yep. honestly hilarious to watch. Yep, and um, yeah,
0: because it's rare of them. It's not this. This was the kind of stuff that you know plagued the Bengals for so long, even in some of their better years. You know, Corey Dillon wanted out. Carl Pickens wanted out. Chad Johnson even kind of he didn't really say I want out, but I mean he was kind of disgruntled towards the end a couple of those years towards the end of his career. So, um, you know, I mean, the Bengals have been there and I mean, you even heard Heinz Ward saying, you know, this, this, this is the kind of stuff you see from the Cincinnati Bengals, not from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Of course, Heinz Ward has to take a jab at the Bengals however, (laughs) however he can, but um, he's not totally wrong about that. So, um, you know, I, The Steelers are a very well run organization, but I think a lot of things are starting to catch up to them at one time, including not only Bell and Brown, but Ben Roethlisberger getting up there in age and injuries piling up there. Um, So, I mean, they may have another run in them or so in the next year or two. uh, But, you know, I don't know. If anything, James Conner proved that he can play well. Juju Smith-Schuster uh, Proved that he he could be a, a you know a number one guy, but you know Juju Smith Schuster made a lot of his plays with Antonio Brown on the field, so um, you know that's uh, they've got a lot going on. And uh, from a Bengals perspective, that's that's good to
1: see. It's, it's, uh, it's funny because we didn't even mention Ben Roethlisberger. It's not like he's a diva or anything, right? <laughs> right,
0: right. Yeah. Jeez.
1: Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's that could take up an entire episode there, but. Then you go and in back into the city of or the, the state of Ohio and the city of Cleveland, and they bring in Kareem Hunt uh, on a one year prove it cheap deal. Um, I, I you know I don't I don't want to necessarily get in I guess into the whole giving another guy giving a guy another chance after what transpired and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think everybody who has half a brain can agree what they saw with, with Kareem hunt. And regardless, that's just not a good situation. Obviously the Bengals have decided to take on someone like that of their own and Joe Mixon um, so far for them two two years in that has worked out well, both on the field and off the field. Um, who's to say that this can't be the same for the Browns. Uh, the impact of, because now that running back room in Cleveland from at least a non-field talent perspective is crazy. Um, you know, Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson, and now you have Kareem Hunt. Uh, I, I guess also from a Bengals perspective, I mean, does this have to play into, I, I made a joking tweet about like, Oh, and with the 11th pick, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, picked Devin White, uh, linebacker LSU, because, they were so bad against the run last year they were so bad particularly against the browns last year and the linebacker group was so decimated i mean does this do, do these types of moves on a team they play twice a year does that kind of help dictate what the team might is probably going to do in april or maybe even
1: in free agency that's that's, that's an interesting point because obviously um, defensive tackle and linebacker are both pressing needs for the Bengals because there's not a lot of depth behind Geno Atkins. There's just nothing at linebacker, and they should probably eventually move on from Bonson's perfect. So that's going to open up another starting spot in that group. So those are positions that already should, should have been on the docket to be addressed aggressively and hopefully aggressively in free agency that we see something different from a Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin partnership. But speaking more with the Browns and Hunt, I mean, it makes – it makes kind of sense because it is John Dorsey signing him. Dorsey is the guy who drafted him when he was with Kansas city back in, I think 2017, that was his last year with, with, with the chiefs before he uh, took the GM job with the Browns. Um, and I think Hunt had some issues in Kent state. And I think Dorsey looked into that. So Dor- Dor- Dorsey recognizes Hunt as one of his guys. And a lot of people are saying, well, why, why, why would they sign Hunt and take on this PR disaster when they already have two guys and Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson? I think that, if anything, makes it more plausible, more um, logical why they would sign him because we don't even know if Hunt is going to play most of the season. I think it was Schefter or Rappaport who said 10 to 12 games was the likely um, suspension for Hunt. And he signed, I think, a one year, $1 million deal, and he'll be a restricted free agent uh, after the 2019 season. So even if he doesn't play, um, like they'll just put a tender on him and he could come back and for his age 24, 25 season with another deal. So uh, the depth is obviously good, and we don't really know what it means for a guy like Duke, John- Duke Johnson, even if, um, like Hunt does play for, for most of the season, which I don't think he will. I think that's a special take up of most of, of 2019. But I th- I think from, from that point of view, it makes sense because there he's a guy that, that the guy in charge already vetted. Um, and as we've seen from Dorsey, he doesn't really care that much about giving guys quote unquote second chances, even though these are instances that happened before long before they were actually released to the public. So second chance is kind of a weird term to use in this sense, but he, he's the guy who did draft Tyree kill as well. And, you know, he also drafted um, Callaway, Antonio, Antonio Callaway, who was a fourth round pick for the Browns who had major trouble at, at, in college himself. So Dorsey and the Browns are, are just a team that's going to take chances on these guys. And, and, you know, th- think, think later, you know, it, act first, think later and whatever. And if it helps out the team, then Dorsey's probably going to do that. So obviously, even without Hunt, that running it was dangerous. Not only because of their running backs, but also the interior of you know Joel Bitonio, JC Tritter, and former Bengal Kevin either. They're going to yep. run down your throat, you know, no matter who's running the ball, and it, uh, uh, pounds the message of do running backs really matter that much if you have a dominant offensive line like that? So it makes the team better. And I, I, Dor- 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 Dorsey was kind of the guy that was going to be able to take on that uh, PR mess because he's the guy that handled him in the first place.
0: Yep, and. I mean, my my first reaction, I guess, to it was, um, aside from whoa, is yeah. <laughs> that uh, you know, I, I almost kind of said, "Wow, the, the ego that is occurring in Cleveland." Yep. After one promising season it, between Baker's actions late in the season, and you know, some stuff that we've seen there between taking on a player like this. Um, Then I thought, well, that's exactly, you know, the Bengals, after years of, you know, not doing well. And in the first couple of years of the Marvin Lewis era, kind of in the the mid 2000s and late 2000s, they took on a lot of problem children. And it was short term success. And then it ended up biting them in the long run in in a lot of cases. Now, some guys ended up rehabbing themselves. You know, Tank Johnson ended up being a a somewhat. productive player and and uh adam jones had a couple of run-ins after uh, while with the Bengals, but nothing compared to what he uh what had occurred with him when he was with the titans and whatnot and he ended up playing with for the Bengals for a long time being a productive guy so um you know it it, it obviously goes either way but it, it just to me it struck me as wow i mean yeah, they, they, they want to make a move like that because they feel like, you know, they had some great momentum last year, but they also, it's kind of like, wow, there's a lot of ego behind a move like mm-hmm. that, um, especially when it's, you know, it's not, this isn't something that happened like a year ago. This is something that ha- that came to, to light, you know, a couple of months ago. It was pretty late in the season when he was let go by the Chiefs. So, um, you know, this is somewhat recent. Um, maybe the event itself is not, but... Um, the fact that it came out it was somewhat recent. And, uh, you know, th- th- there's a big PR hit to take there. We'll see how it works out for the Browns. And then finally, the Baltimore Ravens on Wednesday, th- There's news that they... And granted, we, we knew Lamar Jackson was probably going to be the starting quarterback going into 2019 based on the run that they had at the last half of the year. Thanks a lot, Bengals, for sparking that one. Um, but they have traded uh, in principle uh, you, the trade can't be finalized until the new league year but they have reportedly traded Joe Flacco to the Denver Broncos who just collect quarterbacks like it's going out of style um <laughs> Back for, quarterbacks for a fourth round pick yeah exactly so i mean there there's a couple of routes to go here we're going we're going to segue this into another topic in just a minute but i guess the big question is You know, did did the Ravens get good value for Flacco? And what does that necessarily mean if, 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 if Andy Dalton is on the trading block? What, what could that mean in terms of value range the Bengals could get for a guy like Dalton as opposed to Flacco?
1: Yeah. So I think it was a a fourth round pick. And it was one of the, it was one of the fourth round picks that I think the Broncos got from trading Demarius Thomas, who was actually just, I think I, I actually today was also cut by the Texans because I think he tore his Achilles or whatever. So looking at just Flacco's contract, who he is as a quarterback, how old he is, the fact that he's been injured more times than not over the past couple of years. A fourth round pick seems like a godsend, especially, you know, to a team out of the division, obviously. Um, but, I mean, this is just Elway being Elway. And at, at this point, I'm, I'm not even sure that he likes the Broncos or if he has something to spite with him because he keeps adding these god-awful either quarterbacks <laughs> who just aren't good anymore or just quarterbacks who have always been bad and it's really all always the same type you know when he when he signed Case Keenum or traded for whatever I was surprised because Case Keenum is like five inches shorter than the than the threshold that the Broncos usually have a quarterback <laughs> yeah. Paxton Lynch who's like six seven Peyton Manning was like six five um, Osweiler Osweiler was like seven foot Flacco is like six nine so I mean these tall white quarterbacks who can't hit the broad side of a barn I mean, it's just constant with Denver and, and kudos to Baltimore for uh, alleviating themselves from that contract and fully entering the, the Lamar Jackson era because Bengals fans shouldn't really be happy about this because when, when the Ravens played the Bengals, you know, it wasn't like playing the Steelers where you can kind of assume the lost. They were always competitive against the Ravens because, they always had a quarterback that could play better than Joe Flacco would it mattered. And Flacco never really stepped up against the Bengals in any way past like the year 2012 when he elevated himself to that contract. The Bengals have always been competitive against Ravens when Flacco was there. With the Mark Jacksons, becomes a brand new story. And I don't know if he's going to be able to run – 150 200 yards on them every single time but he's going to develop better as a passer because he's only 21 going to be turning 22 he's only going to get better he's what he is right now as a quarterback is not what he's going to be in year five as a baltimore raven he's only going to get better and they must have to learn to adapt to, to play a dynamic quarterback like that he's someone who can do so many different things than flacco and flacco gets credit for a big arm but his his overall accuracy all over the field. It's so no, nothing to spark at, and, and I guess if he's going to go anywhere to, with that big arm, it might as well be Denver, where the ball travels a little bit further downfield. And I honestly, think lo- looking back to that that play that sparked that playoff run in Denver. If that if that throw was in Baltimore, when it just you know stood up there for five seconds and that that safety became more plated so awfully. If that if that's in Baltimore, I feel like that ball ends up like five yards shorter, and that that playoff run probably doesn't even happen. So I, I guess kudos to Flax for. Probably ending his starting career in a place that's probably best for him in terms of just overall environment or whatever. But I mean, the Broncos aren't going anywhere in that division with with him leading the charge. And this is a new era in Baltimore, and kudos to them for actually getting some decent um, compensation for him.
0: Yeah, Vignesh Arasu in the uh, in the live YouTube chat says, "Are ironic since Joe Flacco's most famous play of his career was against the Broncos." Yeah. Obviously, referring to that to that play that you just mentioned. I mean, look, I I still think, and a lot of things can change. I still think for 2019, Andy Dalton is the Bengals guy. I still think, even if it's a bridge year or what have you, he's on their promo materials of the quote-unquote new day. And, um, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt, I guess, if you want. But (laughs) I, I, I still think... Dalton is probably their guy, at least for this year. That doesn't mean the Bengals won't draft a quarterback. That doesn't mean that the Bengals won't bring in a free agent quarterback or anything like that um, and potentially push him or look to the future beyond this year, whatever. But uh, I, I still think Dalton is the guy. But if, if someone were, were to come calling, this is a baseline type of thing, uh, potentially for, for a Bengals trade.
1: Yeah, yeah, but don't you think Alex Smith would still be like, like that, that, that president? Because I, mean, I, I think they're more similar, and I think Flacco and Smith were the same age when they are traded, and I think Dolan is, I think, going to be a couple years younger, uh-huh. and probably has a little bit, um, you know, less durability uh, issues than both of them, and maybe is, ability kind of is similar to more of a Smith. So I, I think that if the Bengals do end up getting a trade, I think it would be probably a third round pick instead of a fourth round pick. And uh, obviously it does depend on, on which team is calling what the market actually ends up being. But if there is a team that legitimately wants Andy Dalton to be either their bridge for a guy like for, for, for a team like Washington, I think it will end up being a third round pick A second round pick would probably be wishful thing at this point. A first round pick is completely out of the window.
0: Yeah. I, I, when I said baseline, I meant that that's probably where discussions would start. Right. Right. right? I mean, right. they would use that as kind of saying, Hey, this is what, this is what they got what, what the deal was for Flacco. Um, I, I think both age and, now, both Flacco and Dalton have manageable... I, I didn't really study Flacco's contract heavily until the news kind of came out today. Mm-hmm. It, he appears to have a pretty team-friendly contract, guaranteed money-wise, all that kind of stuff, similar to Dalton. Um, and So, you know, they have kind of a similar contract there. Flacco has had a few more injuries of late and, and ba- you know, some some bad ones, you know, hip and back and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Um Dalton hasn't been uh, – Dalton's coming off an injury himself as well. But Flacco was injury and benched. Um, Dalton was simple, simply an injury and less of them recently. Um, younger, a little more mobile. Um, so – better I, throw. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I would – you know, I'd expect that the Bengals to be able to net a higher type of draft pick than what the Ravens got – for Joe Flacco. Um, I just don't, you know, I don't know if, like you said, I think first, first round picks out of the question. I think if it's going to be a second round pick, I think it would have to be the Bengals probably would need to give back a pick, whether that's a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick, something like that. Um, but I, I think, you know, if you're just going to go player for a pick, I think you're probably looking about third round pick for Dalton at this point. And I don't know, I don't know if that's enough to, for, for, you know Zach Taylor and the Bengals to say, okay, thanks, but you know, thanks, move on, and and we'll get one of these other guys coming in, whether that's a Ryan Tannehill or one of these young guys in the draft coming up, and uh, you know, move on to an- another era, both at quarterback and head coach. But a lot of news, regardless, around the AFC North going on. And it does, even though it directly affects those teams, it kind of indirectly affects the Bengals and what they need to do in the off uh, offseason plans. You know, is, is cornerback going to be a high priority now that Antonio Brown seems to be on his way out of Pittsburgh? Is linebacker going to be a priority now that basically we know that the Ravens are going to be running this read option stuff with a lot of rushes from Lamar Jackson and the three, three-headed running back, uh, tandem or trio that that Cleveland now has now the Kareem hunts in there so uh, a lot a lot of movement and a lot of different stuff going on in the AFC North division. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're happy to have you with us. For those of you joining live, and we are happy that uh, you are downloading this show. If even if it's after the fact, and you can get this show on iTunes, on uh, Stitcher, Google Play. It's also on the Megaphone platform also youtube uh, is where we do the live shows so please join us if you are able uh, or you could do so after the fact and then all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com as well please subscribe to our channels make sure you get all of our our content as it comes out and uh what we try and get that to you as soon you know as soon as we can immediately after recording the program so um we appreciate all of the support there. We've got a few more topics on tap. The one that kind of segues from what we were just talking about with the movement in AFC North is the fact that Lamar Jackson is now the quarterback with the Baltimore Ravens. And the Bengals may be, they're, they're, you know, some mock drafts haven't taken Dwayne Haskins and others, um, you know, uh, others haven't gone elsewhere. But an announcement was made by the, the Heisman Trophy uh, winner. Kyler Murray, he is going. He is moving forward and and going to play in the NFL this year. And Kyler Murray brings a very interesting skill set. There are some similarities to Lamar Jackson. There are some vast differences to Lamar Jackson. But you know, you look at running quarterback can throw on the run, can do a lot of different things. Um, Kyler Murray seems to obviously he's he's a quite a bit shorter, uh, but he is a guy who could appeal to Zach Taylor and the Bengals as a a guy that they want to groom to take over for Andy Dalton. So I want to ask you, John, your take on, I mean, Kyler Murray, the prospect, he is, like I said, he basically said, thanks baseball, but no thanks. I'm going to go with football. Um, And a long-term outlook of him versus a guy like Lamar Jackson, because to me, What I saw last year, Lamar Jackson obviously has great athleticism, great, you know, he can run the ball really well. Um, He can kind of keep a defense on its heels quite a bit. But when you game plan well enough, like the Chargers did in the playoffs, he can be stopped. Um, And I don't know, and, and it showed the simplicity of some of the stuff they ran on offense. So I don't know how long, how viable that he is and that offense is long term, but you know, there are shortcomings with Murray as well, height and, you know, how serious is he about the NFL, even though we just said he was serious about it, um, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I guess long term, if you were to kind of compare those two guys,
1: what would you what would you say there? Well, I, I do think that the Lamar comparison is probably going to be one of the top two that not only that we hear the most, but will probably be the most um, logical because it, it, it is hard to find a comparison for Murray because he's gonna measure in no no taller than 5'10". 5'10 at the max he might round up to 5'10". That might that might, that might be generous, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I just went to the doctor, so I'm like five eight and a half. But I tell her I'm, I'm, I tell my friends I'm five ten. That, that's probably that's probably what he does too. He's like five nine and a half. He he probably like lo- 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 looks at evil eleven with my brow, whatever. But regardless, if Murray had started another year in college, and if I guess he. Me- if measured in the same height of Russell Wilson, I would probably take him first overall. Because I, I, I think he's that good of a thrower. I think obviously he's that good of a of a play creator. Um, he had some issues working in the pocket in Oklahoma. Not, not because of his height, but I think just from general lack of experience. But the, the, the thing with Murray is that the one thing that is causing hesitation for me is that one year of starting experience. And when you look at quarterbacks who are there's actually only been two recent memory who have been drafted really high and only had one year of college experience. We're talking about Mitchell Trubisky and Cam Newton. So obviously, he's not Cam Newton. He's not LeBron James on, on the football field. And I, I think Mitchell Trubisky is probably not doing him as well of a, justi- uh, of a justice. I think he's a better prospect than Mitchell Trubisky, but Mitchell Trubisky went second overall. Now I'm not saying Trubisky should have went there, but that's that's just kind of how it is. So him only having one year of starting experience is a much greater risk for me than the fact that he's five nine because – because we've seen quarterbacks who are sub six foot make it work with either the throwing motion, the ability to look in between, you know, um, i between their offensive alignment because that's, that's mainly where some of those like one read throws go and like there, there is a throwing lane created for them. And I, I think he has that ability to do so. But again, the inexperience is, is what gets me. Now with Lamar, you would have three years of college experience, which definitely helped him, but he never had the production indicative of a high quality player in, in the college or even the high school level. And with rookie quarterbacks in general, you know, you kind of don't really take much of what they do in the rookie year as, as an indicator of what they will do going forward. M- most rookie seasons for quarterbacks, sans guys like Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield and Andrew Luck, they, they, they don't really matter that much. Most rookie seasons just are they, – they, they, they just stink, and that's not an indictment on how the rest of their career is going to go. But long-term outlook, I think the, the data supports Murray a little bit more. I think that he's a much better passer than Jackson was coming out of college. But I do yeah. think that Jackson an underrated part of his game was even at Louisville with, with, with that crappy offensive line and receivers who can get open. I think he did a good job of standing in the pocket and going through his progressions and only running when he needs to. And I think Murray is a little, it is in a, in a similar way as, as being patient looking at his reads, but I do think that he doesn't go through his progressions quite as well as Jackson did at Louisville. And, but, but I do think that, obviously, the running abilities is incredibly similar. Like, when Jackson came out, the obvious comparison was Mike Vick in terms of running ability. And you're like, we haven't seen someone at this level since Mike Vick. And now people are saying that about Murray. Well, Jackson literally just came out last year. So the closest thing <laughs> with that is the more Jackson, I guess. But there are similarities. There are differences. I, I do like Murray's game as a thrower a little bit more than Jackson coming out. But there is some aspects of traditional quarterback play that Jackson kind of had the had the, had the upper hand and in terms of running ability uh I think Murray actually measured in uh his his agent said that he's like 203 weight wise which would be pretty good for the combine he's going to run like 4 or 5 which is going to be ridiculous and mm-hmm. he's he's got the he's got the athleticism to make plays you know I don't think he's been taking hits as a quarterback since, since he was in grade school so I don't really worry about the durability that much, just like I didn't worry really worry about with Lamar Jackson who measured in with the same exact measurements as Andy Dalton like 62 215 so long-term going forward, I think the data supports Murray a little bit better. But again, one-year starters in college don't rarely work out in the NFL, and that's the biggest, that's the biggest hurdle that Murray is going to have to overcome if he wants to be an outlier. So when, grading, when comparing the two, I think Murray's a better prospect, and I think he has got more strengths than weaknesses in comparison to Jackson. And me personally, the height is not going to be the, the thing that deters me from picking him. It's just that lack of experience that Jackson actually did have.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at – I saw a tweet about some of his performances against some of the top defenses in the nation. He played Texas twice. Um, They they had a a pretty good defense last year, seven touchdowns, one interception in two games there uh, with about uh, close to 700 yards passing um, and another – you know, 125 rushing in those two games. Crazy. Yeah. Um, You know, you look at uh, Alabama completion percentage was basically the lowest he had had all year, but two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 308 yards and another 109 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Um, Baylor, six touchdowns, zero interceptions, 430. I mean, you, uh, Iowa State was a really strong defense. I remember reading that one, 348 yards passing, three touchdowns, zero inter- interceptions, uh, 77 yards on the ground. So, I mean, he. Uh, the, the thing that I like uh, that, that would quell a, the concern that you mentioned about one-year starter is when he went up against some of the better defenses he faced this year, statistically he played well. Now, unfortunately, in a couple of those games – they lost, they lost one yeah. time in Texas and then they lost Alabama late in the season as well. So that's not a good sign, but statistically speaking, I mean, he played some of his best football against some of the tougher defenses on their schedule, which you have to like. And if you're Kyler Murray, you have to be thanking your lucky stars that Russell Wilson came out <laughs> years before you did, because if there was no Russell Wilson, the you know there was there would probably be a lot of hard headed scouts and coaches and whoever that said yeah Yo, you know he's great he's got a lot of skills but this is a third or fourth round pick now we're talking you know potentially top ten top five first round in general um, so you know I I think obviously the easiest uh, based based on size and kind of how he can navigate and do some different things is Russell Wilson I've seen him do kind of some of those crazy Mahomes type of throw yeah. doesn't have, doesn't have the you know that baseball arm, you know, exactly. He's got, he's he kind of has got the, the quick shortstop type of type of arm there. And uh, you know, the thing that I like that he does, even though he is short in stature, it's the thing that Russell Wilson has mastered, especially at the pro level is moving around because, because these guys are so massive in front of you, Passing lanes aren't readily available, but you can move to create one. And uh, Russell Wilson has been able to do that. And I think that Murray has shown the ability to do that at the college level. I I think, say if if you were to go to the Bengals, I think that his career trajectory would be high. And I'm not just saying that because, you know. Homerism to the Bengals. I think his career tra- trajectory could be higher because, like you said, he does a little more with his arm than a Lamar Jackson. He would have, you know, potentially if you were to start in 2019 or, or 2020, he would have AJ green. He would have Tyler Boyd, potentially if Tyler Boyd stays, he would have a John Ross. He would have a Joe Mixon. he would have a lot of weapons around him to be able to use. So I think from that standpoint, his career outlook, especially with the Bengals would be higher than what we've seen in one year with the pros and the college resume from Lamar Jackson. That's my, that's my standpoint.
1: Yeah. And again, and again, if for starters, Murray is going to get drafted, Relatively high because there's yeah. no reason why he would give up baseball to, in that signing bonus to be a second round pick and not have anything more than a million a year. But it, it, if Murray starts this year again, it, it's it's hard to judge rookie quarterbacks and what they do. I, it would be benefit beneficial for him to to sit behind a veteran like an Andy Dalton if that is the plan, and or just just another veteran for a team that's looking for a change. And and in 2020, we could be talking about one of the one of the next great young quarterbacks in the league. So Murray is the future. Marvin Lewis, I guess, is more of a pass, and I don't think a Marvin Lewis team would ever draft a Kyler Murray. But I think he did. I think if you did listen to that, uh, Marvin Lewis did call a football game as an analyst, an AAF football game. I didn't, I didn't think he was that bad. Did you? He was He was putting me to sleep at times. But yeah. I th- I, he, he had his Tony Romo moments. He, he doesn't have the flair that Romo has. Right. So I think that's one that needs developing. He also needs... Uh, having Maurice Jones-Drew, who provides that 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 sort of flair that Marvin doesn't, that's essential for him in, in his early stages as a broadcaster. But he he provided knowledge. He just needs to not speak like this, you know, a <laughs> words, because if, if if we spoke like that in podcast, no one would listen. Pre- press conference, Marv, right? Yeah, extremely, extremely. But uh, he, he he did get some laughs, and I think he did mention um Kylie Murray is a good a good football player. But he was brought on to NFL Live on Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. And he was talking about some. He did talk about Kyler Murray. He talked about, I think, some issues with uh, my, minority head coaches in the NFL. And then he was talked. And then he was asked about what the Bengals need to do moving forward. And the first thing that he said was they need to get the offensive line in shape. They need to be better on the offensive line, and you know, con- continue to find an identity to help out Joe Mixon, AJ Green, Tyler Boyd. Give time for Andy Dalton and the quarterback. I think he also mentioned like like we like as in the Bengals and we, and he had to stop himself. <laughs> yeah, or like so yeah. he, he, he gets a pass from that. He, I, yeah. I, I like, I would still assume that he's the Bengals like coach. He's been for most of my life. So, but <laughs> he still, his comments in the offensive line kind of stuck with me. And I was writing about it because we reported the news on it. And I put my own little spin on it because the offensive line was the, was the focal point of last offseason. They traded for Cordy Glenn, and in that trade, they ended up drafting Billy Price in the first round. So in theory, they fixed two spots in the off- offensive line. But there were, other, there were two other spots that ended up being the prime weaknesses of last year's union. We're talking about right guard with Alex Redman, right tackle with Bobby Hart. With, with Hart, he was signed, I think, almost a year, exactly a year ago, yeah. in mid-February, when no one had any thoughts about him, not, not, not only starting, but even making the team. Because at this point, we, we thought that they were going to draft an offensive tackle that was going to have a legit shot to start. They ended up not drafting an offensive tackle and having a three-way competition between Jake Fisher, Cedric Obwehi, Bobby Hart. Bobby Hart won either because he, you know, he, he was just better than the other two awful players there or he just did, did something, whatever. He won, he won relatively early in training camp of that competition. Alex Redman won the competition at right guard. And very early on, he showed why he should not be starting in the NFL, but he wasn't really pushed out of that spot until late in the season when they finally gave Christian Westerman a chance. So Marvin Lewis saying that the Bengals need to improve the offensive line is weird to me because he could have very easily produced a much better offensive line in 2018 if he just made the decisions that a lot of us were talking about. If they actually drafted an offensive tackle, if they actually invested in a real one in free agency, if they actually gave Christian Westerman or Trey Hopkins a legitimate chance not only Win the competition against Alex Redmond or eventually take over for him when he was clearly struggling early on in the season. They kind of just ate the bullet, I guess, with him, and they did the same thing with Bobby Hart. But they had, I guess, l- more limited options at right tackle because they self they purposely just didn't address that position as well as they definitely could have. So I want to hear your thoughts on kind of you know the, the, those comments on on the offensive line by Marvin Lewis, and if there's some kind of bad taste in your mouth from it.
0: Well, my my thoughts are unanswered questions. Uh, And and what I mean by that is... Was Marvin Lewis not getting more offensive line help that he is now proclaiming that the Bengals currently need? Was he doing that because... He was playing within massive constraints in terms of financial constraints because of ownership. and he kind of just said, well, let's get, I mean, as we know, and we heard about that we've heard about this from Jeff Hobson at Bengals.com, the Bengals, when they go into free agency, they like to get the guys who have been cut. Mm -hmm. Because that doesn't count against their beloved compensatory draft formula, right? So, and usually those are the guys that are cheaper. Um, That's who Bobby Hart was. He was a guy that was that was just out there and and cut, and he did not count against the formula. Um, And that, more or less, that's a way of kind of being cheap uh, when it comes to free agency. That's not getting the high demand guys. That's not saying guys who are cut aren't in demand. That's just not you know one of the top. Those usually aren't the top tier guys that people are banging down the doors for. Um, so my thing is, is was Marvin Lewis kind of said, well, these are the guys you're going to get. And so he said, well, okay. And and then his own stubbornness played a part in that. Meaning sticking with Redmond, sticking with Hart, even when things were not very good and not really giving Christian Westerman a, ch- a chance. And, and until later in the season, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, or, was he his own worst enemy? Like we saw with the, along with Paul Alexander, what we saw with Nate Livings and, and uh, Evan Mathis at the guard position. Um, we've seen Marvin put very young players in his doghouse and they have a tough time getting out. And Christian Westerman seems to be one of those guys. Um, and, and, you know maybe Marvin going back to in defense of him, maybe Marvin was a guy we need to get an offensive lineman early. We need to get an offensive lineman early over the last two drafts. And Mike Brown said, no, you're getting John Ross at number nine overall. And no, you know, you're going a different route. So I I guess I I see points where I go, oh, this is all on Marv. because, Because of his stubbornness we've seen, because of his lack of willingness to play certain young players that we've seen. But part of me is, is also saying, was he kind of playing and doing what
1: he could within constraints that were given to him? Yeah, and a lot of people have, have told me, you know, if you're going to blame Marvin for this, you might as well blame Duke Tobin, who's the guy who's, who's, yeah. who's more of a, a same bringing these guys. But at the same time, you know, if the, when the coach has dealt the situation that he's been given, his job is to maximize that and clearly playing hard and. Or clearly playing Redman and also Hard was definitely not the optimal path for that. But I, I don't want to name the the, the source of, of of who told me this, but there was a coach, a Bengals coach who was on the coaching staff last year, who's not on this year, who was kind of, it, for lack of a better words, fed up with the with the press that uh, West, the negative press that they were getting for not playing Westerman. He was essentially saying that you know there's a reason why Westerman is not playing. Is that when he's in the film room, when he's on the practice field, he makes a lot more mistakes than. Uh, Redmond does and ends up doing in the game, but at the same time, you're thinking, okay, if, if this guy is clearly good when he ends up playing on Sunday, but he's not doing the right things getting there, and you and you ended up playing the guy who makes more mistakes on Sunday, but he ends up practicing well. What doesn't isn't that more indicative on the lack of job that you guys are doing as a coaching staff than who the player is, at, who who the player actually is as, as a player and as a performer? And I honestly think that. That that that, that's, that that problem expands far beyond just Christian Westerman because when we talk about the legacy of Marvin Lewis, most of it is good, but a lot of it is a, a lack of getting the most out of, out of certain players who end up becoming better players once they move on. And if Christian Westerman's that latest example, I think that point will be solidified as he's a guy who doesn't, for some, for whatever reason, doesn't fit in in that culture that Marvin Lewis and his coaching staff established. But whenever he ends up playing on the field, the results are positive. So it it, it was. It was, it might've been just something that they just couldn't get out of their own way and whether he would, he wouldn't conform to whatever type of practice method methodology or or system that they wanted to. And for some reason, Redmond fit that, but he just obviously clearly isn't the better player. And honestly, if that's the case, and I think that's just more on the coaching staff than on the players themselves.
0: I'll take it a step further. I think it's, Earlier in the process, that's the problem, which is scouting. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to interview these guys, if you're going to be around them at the Combine, granted, it's very limited. But if you kind of got your eyes on certain people, you better do, and, and this is, again, limited scouting staff, all that kind of stuff, you better he- know going into it that if you're going to invest into this kid, granted, it was only a fifth-round pick, but if you're going to invest into him, you're going to need to know that he's probably not a big tape guy. Maybe he's more of a quote-unquote gamer all that kind of stuff, you, you got to know that going into it. I mean, there were there were rumors when Westerman was drafted that he was a second- or third-round type of talent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and that says a lot based on, you know, that position isn't always, you know, highly, highly valued. Um, he was a guy that, that a lot of people thought could go, you know, night two, early, you know, right. uh, ending. Uh, so obviously other teams saw things. And granted, it gets a little frenzied in the draft, and guys just end up falling sometimes inexplicably. But obviously, my thought is what you're saying, and I've heard the same thing about the knock on Westerman in terms of he's not a gr- he's not great in the film room, he has mental mistakes, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I, my thought is that uh, other teams did their due diligence on it, and that's why he fell, whereas the Bengals, either they did their due diligence – and then they they thought, oh, we can still get it out of him, and they haven't. Or he's just one of those guys who, when the lights comes on and he's actually out there playing, he just plays well. Um, There are people that do that, and it's inexplicable. It's just (laughs) an innate thing, a gamer thing, and uh, he seems to be that guy. Uh, So uh, to me, it's kind of an indictment of the entire process.
1: Yeah, and there's a path where... Westerman still becomes, I guess, the heir to Clint Bowling at left guard because his contract expires the same in 2020 along with Bowling's. They could extend Westerman very cheaply because he's played like less than 200 snaps in his career. But I I honestly wonder if he would even want that, if he would want to come back with the Bengals if he doesn't get the chance to start in four years and if he just wants to go on to a new system. But hopefully if he does play under Zach Taylor and then Jim Turner and Brian Callahan in a completely new supporting cast and staff maybe that is like like their own version of Evan Mathis going on to a new team where he eventually thrived and became a pro bowl or an all, an all pro caliber player it, 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 instead of going to a brand new team It's just going under a new staff of the Bengals so hopefully he is given the chance to 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 show he is the the guard and, and the talent that we in pro football focus all, all believe he is because if he does then that's one less position to worry about you know right guard or you know is set you can focus on you know getting billy price better at center and go ahead and finding either a veteran right tackle or, or starter early in the draft and boom you have a much better offensive line with new faces to work with and hopefully the, the zach taylor offense gets the support up front that it needs yeah, but interesting comments nonetheless like you uh like you
0: brought up John from from Marvin Lewis. I think that that's <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you go you're not wrong but Aren't you part of the problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's let's get to some listener questions. We're running a little long. Uh, good stuff, though, John. Um, let's let's get to a couple of listener questions. We're going to try and consolidate some just because we're running long and we're running a, a little short on time here. Um, did get a few texts already. First of all, there was one. I'll, I'll send this. Uh, I will send this link to the live YouTube chat. Um, it, it's a pretty cool thing. I, I don't I'm trying to see who it was sent from. Um, there's not a name to it, but it was from four, two, three area code. It's a YouTube link and it shows, uh, I think it was back in the early eighties showing, um, the Bengals uh, unveiling of their, of their new quote unquote new uniforms, um, and I, I, took a brief look at it. it shows, uh, like Reggie Williams, their old school linebacker and, uh, another offensive lineman showing the, st- when they unveiled the striped helmets and the striped shirts, not the old school bangles that said, it. so, uh, just an interesting text I got. So thanks for sending that over four, two, three area code. Didn't get a name there. Sorry. Um, we got two texts from one was from Nathan and another was from, from good friend Frank from Virginia, both center around free agency. Nathan asked, um, you know, if Eagles were to release Jason Peters, would that be a smart decision? And then he also mentions Deshaun Jackson where Frank says, uh, Frank asks about the top five dream unrestricted free agent signings a little early to kind of, and I don't have, yeah. uh, I don't have a, a ton in front of me to, to prep for that, but, um, I mean, I, I I don't think Deshaun Jackson is something that this team needs right now personally. Um, Jason Peters is a talented guy and a guy who has done a lot towards the end of his career. I mean, he's extended his career very, very well. But he is up there in age. You've already got kind of a – he had a decent left tackle in Cordy Glenn. Um, I, I just – I don't know if Jason Peters is the answer for, for the Bengals. I mean, maybe as a Band-Aid thing if that's – if if that's the way they want to go. But I think, I think to me, a guy that makes a lot of sense, both connection wise and position wise is Roger Saffold. I think he's more of a left guard, but um, you know, you can kind of switch some things around. Clint Bowling has shown some versatility in his years. Um, I think Roger Saffold is a guy that I would say – he's he's early 30s, so he's at the end of his career too. But I think if you get him on a decent contract, that's – like you said, John, he's a guy that could come in and maybe solidify the line right away. That's just one name to me that pops off, uh, pops up to my head that's going to be out there aside from the names that these
1: two guys mentioned to us. Yeah, Pierce is, intrigues me a lot because of obviously like the player that he is. But more importantly, like the, the, those guys who are just – supreme athletes. And Peters is definitely one of them. He ran like a four, nine at 320 pounds, you know, back in 2004. Um, if he is cut by the Eagles, I, I think he would probably be at the top of of my list to, to at least start it or compete at right tackle for one or two years. And hopefully they draft a guy in this year's draft that can kind of develop behind him. And the tackle that I originally thought of for that role was Ty Naseki. And um, th- th- this idea came to me when uh, Bill Callahan was rumored to become the Bengals' offensive line coach. Callahan is currently uh, coaching Washington. That's where Naseki has been for the past couple of years, and he's been a, a, a just a solid contributor. He's never been really given the chance to actually start, but he's mainly been kind of like the Anthony Collins guy, the kind of swing guy that plays on multiple positions. But when he played the right tackle for you know a, a durated period of time he's actually been pretty decent he's going to be 33 34 years old kind of in that range where he would probably accept a a two three-year contract minimal guarantees but you know just enough for for him to accept a starting position while you develop a guy that you maybe draft in the second through fourth rounds at at right tackle because honestly like if you sign a guy in free agency and a guy in his 30s through two year deal you also have cordy glenn at left tackle who is, I think has two more years left on his deal and he's going to be in his, in his thirties. So there's going to be even more uncertainty at the tackle position going from 2020 and beyond at both positions. So definitely would invest early in this, in this year's draft class in an offense tackle to develop at either position. But um, Saffo will be definitely interesting to fill in right guard or just move Boeing to, to a right guard and have Saffo play left guard. Um, his price range is a little bit, more questionable to me because he will be on his third contract into his thirties. Maybe they get him on some low guarantee because at this point, the the Bengals are who they are until they aren't in free agency. Like they could be major, not not major players, but they could be slightly more aggressive and going after mid-level guys. I think Saffold would classify it um, as that. And Sean Jackson, I I think they have what they need at receiver. They just need some new, some new eyes and new system to kind of better utilize them.
0: Yeah, and I mean Saffold. It's it's not the first time. I mean, if you remember, there there were a couple years there where the Bengals did some stuff in, in free agency, including getting a guy named Bobby Williams, who ended up being a, a very good right guard for this team for a number of years. And yeah, I, I think that was his second contract, though not his not his third like Saffold. But yeah. um, I mean, there have been times where they've gone out there and got those kind of those those B B B plus players. Um, they've done that before. And, uh, you know, it's not, it hasn't been the first time that they've done that. Um, one other guy to, to, that I think would be interesting and he might get franchise tagged. We'll see. Um, but in terms of a positional fit and age, he would be expensive and he would be one of the top players in free agency, but CJ Mosley, uh, a little, maybe a little bit of a pipe dream, but that would be a great get you lessen a divisional opponent and then you potentially get CJ Mosley as your as a linebacker there. Um, I think that's a good fit. We had another text uh, from Austin Tran. Um, I mean, this is kind of a big what if, but uh, do you think Zach Taylor can show up in the big game? Something Marvin Lewis can't do. Um, I think that's going to depend on the roster. And I think the hope is that this team will be much better prepared than they had been in the prime time and playoff games. Right. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, and Taylor can only do so much. Like, at some point, we got to hold Andy Dalton accountable for, for his yeah. lack of, of play in the big time. And, uh, yeah, like, overall preparation, that was, like, the main, I guess, theme from the Marvin Lewis area with primetime games and playoff games. You know, they they were much better than what they put out there, you know, from – earlier in the season and then they you just kind of fall apart and you have to put that on, just general preparation and just lack of utilization when when good teams take away what you can do best and the failure to adapt. And hopefully those are aspects that Taylor can obviously improve upon. But if he's going to bring a system over similar to the Rams and make Dalton's life easier with a lot of play action, a lot of jet motion, a lot of things like that, hopefully it will be better. And hopefully at this point Dalton won't be as god-awful as he is in playoff games and primetime games that he was under Lewis. I mean that's the hope,
0: and I, I think one of the things uh, we we used this word last week on last week's show. Uh, one of the things that plagued Lewis in these big games was rigidity, right? I mean, it yeah. just and and showing. I, I remember specifically in that loss to the San Diego Chargers, the then San Diego Chargers back in 2013, that playoff game. That was a loss that stung because i think it was melvin ingram at the time said basically they threw nothing at us that we weren't prepared for that we didn't see just about a month ago and uh i mean you want to stick to what you do best but you can't you you can't throw out the you can't do the exact same thing um and and expect that the team won't catch on that's just not going to happen and of course we know what we know know what happened there um this is this this will probably this might be the last one to get before we get out of here, but basically there's a couple of questions within the live YouTube chat. Late round quarterback prospects. Um, I also saw should the Bengals draft Will Greer if he falls to day two. That was from Derek Rogers. So your thoughts on some of the quarterbacks that aren't getting the hype um, of a Haskins, a Murray, and um, some others
1: uh, in in a class that's kind of meh overall? Yeah. And a lot of those quarterbacks ended up being at the senior bowl, which was a largely unimpressive group. Um, If you're talking about day three, you would like to see a guy like Tyree Jackson, maybe in there in the fourth or fifth round. He's like, Six seven build like Cam Newton has a can of an arm, but never had the production indicative of a high quality player. If you can snag him in the fourth or fifth round, that would be great. Another guy is Gardner Minshew out of Washington State, who might be available. That was the play. guy I was
0: going to say. Yeah,
1: yeah, the West Coast guy like yourself, and you know, it's kind of on the older side. I think it was a transfer, but ended up playing pretty well in Mike Leach's system, kind of similar to Andy Bell, and has good intermediate accuracy. So he'd be an interesting guy to develop.
0: Yeah, Uh Minshew was the guy, and uh, he was kind of a. Um... Uh, rock star up there, man. I mean, mm-hmm. he had—I think he was the guy that had the funky mustache. He yeah. had the full
1: beard for the Senior Bowl. Yeah, he
0: yeah, he was kind of a rock star up there. And obviously, Washington—Mike yeah, Leach has turned that program around immensely. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are some guys to look out for. I apologize. We couldn't. We had a couple of calls come through. We couldn't get to it. We're just running long. We had a long episode last week, so we're trying to keep the the podcast episodes digestible uh so we, we we apologize we didn't get to the calls there um call give us a call next week though we'll try and get you on the air and uh we'll we'll get you but we appreciate the text we appreciate the calls we appreciate all the interaction in the live youtube chat for our listener questions we try and get to those every week um and we try and uh answer those every week that that we have a we have a show so uh keep at us um john final thoughts before we get out of here
1: yeah, I'm interested to see not only if Grantham is the defensive coordinator, who he brings on as his staff. Because we've seen from Zach Taylor's offensive offensive staff, it's mainly been guys that he's had, he's associates of him, former colleagues of him. Maybe Grantham ends up bringing in his, in his own guys if, if this is the direction that he wants to go in. With Grantham just taking over the over the defense and how those two um, vacancies of the defensive line and linebackers still remain vacant, obviously position um or uh, jobs that Grantham has worked in the past so he might have some guys that he has in mind. He might even take some guys from Florida with him. I'm excited to see the rest of the staff filled so we can finally finally get to some draft work. I'm dying to write scouting reports. I know. I usually, know. usually usually by draft season then I'm like I'm done with the draft. But now I'm like fiending for it because we're we're still on this coaching search right now. Yeah there's that
0: and then uh you know there's the whole <laughs> mock drafts and combine results and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of things will change after the combine. Um and you know I I'm we talked about him for some reason. Something's telling me—I don't know why—but I, I think Kyler Murray is on the periphery for the Bengals' interest. I just I, something's telling me that. No, 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 Somebody just a little instinct. Um, I, I, I'm not saying they'll draft him necessarily, but I think I think they'll be interested. I think they'll be watching him closely at the combine, what he does. Um, the one thing that uh, I think it was Ian Rappaport who noted it. Um, kind of interesting with Kyler Murray, he is a guy who can, who basically can decide where he goes. Yeah, um, he's got
1: insane leverage. With yeah, that.
0: yeah, and it's it's uh, the the last guy that I can think of that kind of used his talent and leverage to uh, not only to where he's going, but to get a lot of money was uh Darrell Revis. Um I mean he kind of hopped around teams and did the kind of rental deal and made a lot of money and then moved around. Um so it's interesting that he Murray might have a lot of leverage and that you know uh, the cynical Bengals fan will say well he he would say no to the Bengals. I <laughs> you don't know that, we don't know that. Um but I just I think that that's and, and that's part of the reason why we discussed him. I think he's going to be in a conversation for the Cincinnati Bengals, whether that's especially if it's at 11, if they don't have to move up to get him. Um, I, th- I think that that would be something that they may may discuss whether he, whether or not he's the pick. I don't know. I think he's going to wow a lot of people when he starts doing his workouts, his pro days, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, uh, especially with the explosion of Russell Wilson, like we talked about the explosion of a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you know, these, these baseball guys with these baseball arms that kind of can move around and do all kinds of wacky stuff like Murray. I think, I think that that's kind of an in vogue thing. Um, And then you you think about, like I mentioned earlier, Murray with the talent that the Bengals have at the offensive skill positions. That's, that's something that you may want to, you know, you may want to say, Hey, that, that, that could work. Bengals do need to fix the offensive line though. Right. Right, John. Right, right, Marvin. <laughs> uh, but yeah, interesting stuff coming for the Bengals, and draft season is upon us. So um, we'll be happy to to talk more about that as as it as it comes at us. Uh, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. It's on the Megaphone platform. You can also get it. Uh, on cincyjungle.com and our YouTube channel. So uh, get the show how you can. We appreciate the support. We will see you next time, John. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you you, you coming on as always and bringing, bringing the, the insight as you always do. And uh, thanks to all of our live listeners and to all of those who uh, submitted questions this week. We'll see you next time. Appreciate it.
1: Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features.